0: This podcast is proudly supported by the post-production facility, Red Lab. Red Lab. See where your ideas can go. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Polk. What's the difference between a calling and a choice? A compulsion and a conscious way of life? For actress Katie Boland, writing began as a way to calm the demons inside, to quell the anxiety that so many artists face. Katie is a tour de force in the industry, seamlessly working both in front and behind the camera as an actress, producer, writer, and director. Reading from her essay, Am I Suited for My Life, Katie delves into her life as a writer and the path of discoveries, challenges, and successes it has led to, both personally and professionally. Do you ever wonder if
1: you're suited for your life? I started acting when I was eight. I became a writer when I was 20. Writing is a choice that I made as an adult, with my eyes wide open, but it's not something I wanted to do. Acting was a calling. Writing happened to me. Let me explain. In retrospect, I started writing at 20, around when mental illness presents, to remedy things that I didn't know I was sick with. Depression, anxiety, and a persistent dissatisfaction. Nothing felt like enough for me. Watching myself on screen became a remote experience. It felt like I was looking at someone else who I only vaguely recognized. And I didn't really like her. When I was just an actress, I was often frightened and sad and a bunch of things I didn't know how to put into words. Not sure how to escape hating myself so much, I told myself I'd start writing. I could do that for hours every day. No one had to choose me. All I needed was my painfully eager self and a computer. Writing was my antidepressant before I was medicated, my 12-step meeting before I identified as a codependent, and my vodka sodas when it was too early in the day to numb out. They say that life is choosing between boredom or suffering. In my more nihilistic moments, I agree. My anesthetic writing is choosing boredom, which I would take over just being an actress and suffering any day. It's funny how the most important things in life walk in through the back door. Aren't they supposed to burst in like your drunk aunt at a christening? Don't you plan for them? Aren't you supposed to chase and catch what you really want? Aren't you supposed to see it coming? I wanted to be an actress more than anything. I longed for it. But success as a writer has come so quickly and easily for me that I wonder if I've been savagely cursed as an answer to my prayers. Please, God, give me something to do. But does it really work like that? How writing has become the centerpiece of my life has left me confounded as hell. A complete antithesis to everything I've always thought. Is ambivalence the most powerful thing in the world? Is my universe ordered by not giving a fuck? Am I a successful writer because I don't attach my self-worth to it? Because I do it to remedy mental illness, to prevent myself from jumping off high cliffs in my mind? I write to fill the hours. Not because I like it, and not because I think it owes me anything. Look, writing is a good methadone. It's not the heroin high of acting. But it keeps me even, lets me dance with my control issues, and it allows me to exist in the world, just numb enough. Most days, I feel like I'm trying to solve a complicated puzzle, lost in a consistent hum of distraction and filled with relief. I'm the opposite of Joan Didion. I never write to know myself. I write to escape myself. And When the writing's good, it takes me out of myself. I have to stuff me back in. Outsized and uneasy with the fit. But I've always felt that way in the world. Emotionally outsized, uneasy with the fit. My father is a famous writer. Or he was, before he retired over a decade ago and declared he'd never write again because only an asshole writes for free. His eyes are piercing blue, and they're framed by wild white eyebrows. There's an unnerving clarity in his gaze. I think that's what scares me sometimes. When he looks into my eyes, he can see too much. To have a love affair, a true love affair, it has to be with someone that holds a part of you. They have to get inside you. They have to matter. My father told me this over breakfast not too long ago. How did we start talking about love? Dad, why do you think the most talented people are the most crazy? I know I asked him this. Writing is painful work. It costs you. And there's the desire to create your whole world, to change it and to have things work out how you want it to. And therein lies inherent danger. If your time in the real world drives you to create your own, one that's mystical and so all-encompassing that you have to live within it, that's very dangerous if you ask me. It's exhausting, and if you're not tired, you're not doing it right. You become whole other beings. You're not who you're living inside. That'll make you crazy. There's nothing so lonely as being a writer. Every writer is crazy. Did he say it like that? There's always more poetry than I remember. Regardless, he has a point. My time in the real world drives me to create a mythical one. I'm more comfortable that way, making longer stories short. I want to arrange things, draw conclusions, give them an introduction. I want to take pieces of my life and structure them on pages. I want to take people and make them permanent, put them in black and white type. The most poignant and fulfilling creative experiences of my life are those I created from nothing at this very laptop. Writing taught me time and time again that I have choices and that I'm good at making them. For a person with chronically low self-esteem, depression, who gets rejected several times a week as an actress and has had a string of bad boyfriends, do you know how improbable it is for me to say that? Out loud on a podcast, no less? Writing has taught me that my voice is worth hearing and that I have something to say in an unshakable way that will never go away and only gets bigger. If you want to sit at your dining room table alone, arguing with strange voices in your head all day, maybe writing will do that for you too.
0: Coming up... Katie sits down with Laura Jean Korostecki to chat more about writing, family, and exploring new career paths.
2: Welcome, Katie Boland, to Red Lab Studios. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your voice.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
2: So your essay was the first essay that we got when we started creating this series, and it got us very, very excited about possibilities moving forward oh, thank it you. begins in a somewhat ambivalent way as you talk about writing coming into your life in a very practical way as a solution to a problem can you tell us more about that journey of of discovering it first as a means to an end and and I think if I may be so bold to say that you now love it <laughs> You're correct.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I remember when I first started writing, I almost felt like I was cheating on my husband or something. There was like such a passion all the time. Like I just wanted to be writing and alone all the time. I would be having conversations with people and in my head thinking about what I was going to write or what I could write about them. And so it definitely started as something that was solving a lot of problems in my life, but that I did feel passionately for, but sort of in like a sick and all-consumed way, like an affair. And it's changed as time has passed to now really being like my daily practice. Like I feel some people have yoga or spirituality, um, and I think I have writing for that.
2: Was there a moment that you realized that you were a writer? Was it sitting alone with your computer or a particular draft?
1: It's funny because even when you say that, I am I think like, oh, am I a writer? <laughs> I have like imposter syndrome sort of. Um, I think it's when I started putting things out into the world and people would say like, oh, that spoke to me or that meant something to me because I never – I really thought it was just something I would do to fill my days. Um, and when things I'd written went on to have their own life or uh, got made or or whatever, that – is really when I started to think like, oh, okay, this is maybe what I was put on earth to do.
2: One of the hardest things we face is this staggering amount of control that's taken out of our hands. You hear it time and time and again that the way to survive in this business is to create your own work. Your career so far is a testament to that. Are you grateful even if it wasn't your calling or your first passion that writing found you and allowed you to make that statement of uh, creating your own work?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think, um, and LJ, you and I have both talked about this uh, often, but I think when you have any kind of control issues at all or you're a type A person, being an actress is really the worst career you can have. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like, it's just so (laughs) crazy-making. So I am very grateful that writing found me or, or came to me at the time that it did. And now I really feel my career is more... Um, being a writer who acts in her own things or like, I feel like being a hybrid is now what my career has actually become. So I am really grateful that writing became a part of my life when it did. Otherwise, I don't know what i (laughs) have (laughs) done.
2: I love my favorite section of your essay is the stuff about your dad. How strongly has family factored into your career? Obviously, your mom is also a really wonderful director, and I know you've done some projects with her. Is that support invaluable? Can you – do you want to share with us a little more about your family?
1: Yes. I always say – and I'm, like, the first to say I've really benefited from nepotism. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's been very helpful to have a mother in the film industry, but also parents who were supportive of creative pursuits. Like, in my family, that was just very normal to do, so I never had any kind of pushback in the way a lot of people do. And then as far as my career as a writer, like, my mom reads everything first, edits – My dad reads edits, so the family support is invaluable. Also, my brother is a rapper, but he's very good with words and is really like a poet and and a writer. So he will help me sometimes, too, or give me his take on stuff.
2: If writing is your opioid or methadone, (laughs) as you said, what would you call directing, producing, acting? What drugs are those?
1: Hmm. Ativan?
2: (laughs) Adderall?
1: (laughs) Um, None of those make me feel steady and stable in the way that writing does. I think because writing, you're really going to do the same thing every day, like you're just sitting at your computer. Whereas with directing and producing or acting, it's like very different tasks every single day. So I think that writing is sort of the balance or the ballast in, in my life, my anger, and then those things orbit around
2: what would you say to the young writers that might be listening here or even young actresses who are listening who might feel that they're stuck in a rut or trapped into a particular calling as as you did. You said you started acting when you were eight and can't quite figure out a path forward. I
1: think being a performer becomes so much a part of your identity as a person and, and how you see yourself in the world. So I think that it's very normal If if anyone listening is feeling that way, it's very normal. My advice to young actors would be challenge yourself and challenge your image of yourself. And probably a lot of the things that make you a good actor or drawn to acting are transferable skills. Like, a lot of actors I know are great producers. Not everyone wants to write, but they can find a writer that they want to work with to tell stories they're interested in telling. Even seeing you and how you've pulled off this podcast, I was like, oh, like, LJ could be a CEO. You know, (laughs) like, anything's easier in a lot of ways than auditioning and getting a job.
2: Oh, it's so true. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, And for the young writers, I would just say, like, believe that you do have a voice. Talk to a couple people that you trust for edits, but that's it. And— I don't know. Try to get outside every day. <laughs> Put, get dressed every day. Help me. Put yeah.
2: on your clothes. Is there? I know you talked about writing as as being this meditative thing that you do every day. Would you say that also is is something that you would advise people to do? Is create a routine in your artistic process? I think
1: it helps certainly. Also to sort of treat it like a an office job or something where you have goals or often people who have real jobs <laughs> call in every day and say, this is what I'm going to do. So make yourself accountable in some way. How my life is structured right now, I have to write every day because I'm on a lot of different projects. But like, I actually don't recommend that. I would say like write three days a week is is normal. Anything more than that is like, you, it is a bit crazy
2: making. Can I ask you, what is your favorite piece to write? Do you prefer short stories? Because you've done all of these. Short <laughs> stories, essays, short films, features, TV. You have written all of them. Thanks, hon. So <laughs> is there one that you prefer or is there something special with each? I feel the
1: most myself when I'm writing personal essays, but I also feel those are the most revealing. So sometimes I get like very nervous after I put them out. Film and TV is fun because it's often a collaboration and like you're getting people's notes all the time. So you feel like you're not so much just in your head. But I would say, what do I
2: enjoy writing the most? Probably like the the essays. I feel, and I know you and I have been friends a long time and um, talk about this a lot. I think there is an inherent curiosity that I really admire in you that comes (laughs) out so nicely in your writing and I think that curiosity is something that fuels us as artists. And you've really got a beautiful handle on it. Is that what keeps you going? Is it that curiosity that I see that really keeps you writing and moving and and uh, creating th- new relationships? And- I think so. And that's actually – I feel very touched that you picked up on that. I
1: actually feel like th- how curious I am is, like, not normal. And so, like, when you and I are having a conversation – I will ask you, like, 20% of the questions that I'm thinking, and it's still overwhelming for you, I'm sure. (laughs) Like, people are like, oh, my God, you ask a lot of questions. And I'm like, this is nothing. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I would say, like, really the only reason I ever do anything in my life, like, as far as, like, personal life decisions or work or whatever is just curiosity. Like, I think it's easy for me to find what's interesting about every story and, like, what I really want to ask more questions about. So, I'm lucky in that way, but yeah, really like writing, act, it's all just a way to like answer all of these questions that I have.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you for answering our questions today and coming in and sharing your voice with us. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: With over 20 years of experience and more than 75 roles to her name, Katie Bullen's film work has been featured in festivals around the world. She has been recognized with numerous awards, including a Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance. Katie was one of the inaugural actors to be chosen for TIFF's Rising Star program and a recipient of the Burke's Diamond Women in Film Award, as well as finding herself on Playback's 10 to Watch. In addition to her work in the film industry, Katie also contributes as an occasional journalist for various media publications, including the Toronto Star, BlogTO, She Does the City, and the Huffington Post. You can keep up to date on Katie's current and future projects on Twitter and Instagram at Katie Boland or at www.katieboland.com. Be sure to check out future episodes and upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca and search Women on Screen out loud wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Red Lab Studios, for hosting us. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. I'm
2: Jennifer Pogue. And we We are are Women on Screen. Women on Screen Screen Out Loud was recorded at the post-production facility Red Lab. This project was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue, with sound engineering and editing by John Lawless and original music by Erica Percunier. This podcast would not be possible without the support of Women on Screen founders Lauren McKinley, Farah Marani, and Kira Murphy. This has been a Women on Screen production.